Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Matthew chapter 28. We have been taking a break this holy week from looking at the Sermon on the Mount to looking ahead in Matthew's gospel to his eyewitness accounts of Holy Week and of this morning of the resurrection. So Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10 will be our passage of study this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative, infallible word to us this Easter morning. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word to us this morning that you have spoken, that you have inspired. And we thank you for the proclamation, for the testimony, for this word about the resurrection. And so teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Are you familiar with the I told you so stories? Perhaps you're like me, and when I was a young child, many times my parents would say, you know, don't do that, because if you do, something's going to happen to you. And inevitably, I would do it, and then what would follow? Well, I, I told you so. I told you so. I, I think this happened to me quite often. Well, in Matthew chapter 28, here in this passage, specifically in verse 6, we have, in a sense, an, an I told you so story. The two Marys went to the tomb to perhaps see if they could see Jesus' body. Or they wanted to go and to somehow see him or be near him to, to cope in their grieving process. But when they got there, they were completely surprised by an angel who descended from heaven. He was a great warrior of light. He was terrifying. He was so amazing and magnificent. And the angel reported to them that Jesus was not there. He had risen. And the angel said he'd risen, verse 6, as he said as he told you that he would. So Jesus was, in a sense, not 
secretive about his resurrection in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 16, we see one of the clearest places where Jesus was predicting what would happen after his death. Turn, hold your place in Matthew 28, turn to Matthew 16. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 23, we have one of these very clear teachings from Jesus where he told his followers what would happen to him after his death. So in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23, we read, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here in this passage in Matthew chapter 16, Peter is called Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like not to be called Satan. But here, G, uh, Peter just doesn't get it. <laughs> Jesus is prophesying to him. He's telling him what's going to happen. He's predicting his future. And Peter, I'm sure he was zealous. He didn't want his Lord to die. I said, this is not going to happen to you. If I was Peter and I was called Satan, I think I would try to remember why the Lord called me Satan. I would try to learn my lesson. How did I screw up so bad as to be called Satan by the Lord? It was because he was not setting his mind on the things of God. He was setting his mind on the things of man. And here we see clearly Jesus was not exactly secretive about the fact that he must suffer, that he must be killed, but that he would rise on the third day. This was his mission. This is what Jesus Christ came to do, and nothing was going to get in his way, not even his overzealous apostle, Peter. So if you were with us on Good Friday, we emphasize that Jesus was crucified, and that as he was on the cross, he was, he was reviled and defamed and made fun of and slandered and said, hey, why don't you come down? But we emphasize that Jesus did not come down. He had to die. It was the will of God the Father that he should die as a substitute for sinners. But on Easter morning, we proclaim, he did not stay dead. He rose. He has risen, we proclaim, this very day. So at the very foundation of Christianity, if you... Look at the bedrock of what are the principles that Christianity is built upon. It is the fact that Jesus has risen. The resurrection is true. Yes, Jesus had to die. But his death would be nothing if he hadn't risen. And so the Apostle Paul makes this very clear in his very precise statement of faith in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus has risen. It is true, and it is of first importance according to the Scriptures. And so this Easter morning we read in the gospel accounts and we see the disciples of Jesus' day that the resurrection almost came as a complete surprise as if they weren't expecting it because they were depressed, they were mourning. But the resurrection is no surprise to us. It is in fact why we worship on Sunday week after week. The resurrection is the glorious truth that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life so that we may live forever. So let's examine what Matthew says about the resurrection here in this passage. I want to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the reason of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, and the response to the resurrection. The reason the reality and the response to the resurrection. The first is the reason for the resurrection. From this account, we see again the angels. Uh, the angel came and spoke to the Marys as they went to the tomb to see Jesus. And they reported, and he reported to them that Jesus had risen from the dead. And there was one very important reason that the angel said that Jesus had risen from the dead. And if you're reading too quickly, you might miss over it. But look in verse 6. The reason that Jesus was raised from the dead is because that's what he said he was going to do. That's what the angel said to the Marys. He had risen, as he told you he would. Three times in Matthew's gospel, he records Jesus telling his disciples that he would be resurrected. Just listen to these. I've already read from Matthew 16, but from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Jesus taught this very clearly. In the next chapter, Matthew 17, again, we see teaching from Jesus very clearly to his disciples. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man which is how he liked to refer to himself in the Gospels. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed, he says. And then one more time in Matthew chapter 20. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside Okay, so picture this. He's going to get his 12 main guys. Everybody come here to me. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to tell you something. And this is what he said to them. See, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. So there you go. Very clearly teaching from Jesus before his death and resurrection. Jesus did mention several other times in the Gospels that he would be crucified and killed. 
But these are three very concrete examples recorded by the Apostle Matthew that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do. And what happened, happened because that's what he said was going to happen. Now, I'm not sure what the disciples were thinking when Jesus made these statements to him. I mean, they've already seen the miracles. Peter has already confessed that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he pulls him to the side and says, look, some bad stuff is about to happen. I just want you all to get ready for this. But, but don't worry. Third day is going to rise. I'm going to rise, Jesus says. So when Jesus made these statements, I don't know what they were thinking. Were they thinking, you know, oh, he's tired. He's hungry. He's just, that's just crazy talk. He does that sometimes. <laughs> what were they thinking? But we know they see it now. They were surprised. But Jesus said that's what he was going to do. And that's what the angels reported to the Marys. The main reason that Jesus has risen, he has done what he said he was going to do. He was going to die, and he was going to rise again. The great pastor of days gone by, J.C. Ryle, he gives other very important reasons for the resurrection that I found very striking that I want to give to you this morning. Just five. Another very important reason for the resurrection. It is the seal and headstone of the great work of redemption. It is the seal and headstone of the great work of redemption. Since sin and death entered the world, salvation is necessary to save us from our sins and to make us right with God. We need to be redeemed. The resurrection is the final ratification of the great work of salvation that God accomplished through Jesus Christ. When the lawmakers of our land pass bills, they are not ultimately ratified, they're not ultimately put into the law until our president puts his final seal of approval and signature on them. Was the same way in the great work of redemption. God's final seal of approval, the great headstone of his work of salvation is the resurrection. The second reason. The resurrection is the crowning proof that Jesus has paid the debt which he undertook to pay on our behalf. The resurrection is the trumpet sound of the victory that Christ accomplished the great rescue plan by his substitutionary death on the cross. And so the resurrection is proof Christ paid the debt for us. Thirdly, the resurrection is the victory on behalf of believers to rescue us from hell. Jesus has conquered sin and death by his death on the cross. And all you have to do is trust in his finished work on the cross and trust in his resurrection. The Bible says you will be saved from hell. You will no longer be separated from God because of the resurrection. Fourth, the resurrection is the surety by our Father in heaven. It's the surety, the guarantee our Father in heaven. Romans 4, verse 25, the Apostle Paul records, 
that Jesus was raised for our justification. The resurrection is the promise, the guarantee, the surety that our hope is secure, that our salvation has been secured in Christ. He is our surety, and the resurrection is proof of that. And then fifth and finally, the resurrection is the guarantee that our ransom has been paid in full. It's the guarantee that our ransom price has been paid in full. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Because our sin is costly. It costs Jesus his life. The debt of sin had to be paid and Jesus paid the ransom price on our behalf. He has been raised and our sins have been paid in full because of the resurrection. So those are some of the many reasons for the resurrection. Secondly, let's look at the reality of the resurrection. The reality that the angel reported to the Marys in verse 6. He's not there. The tomb, the stone has been rolled back from the tomb. The tomb is empty. He is not there. The angel knew that that's why the Marys came to the tomb to see if they could see Jesus' dead body. They wanted to mourn. They wanted to grieve. They wanted to see him one last time. But the angel... With a big smile on his face, <laughs> happily reported to him, Jesus is not there. And all the while, there's some frozen Roman guards scared to death watching all this. The reality is, the reality of the resurrection is, and many have testified as it's been recorded in Scripture, that Jesus was not in the tomb. His dead body has never been accounted for. But the resurrected, talking, walking Jesus, he was very much alive. The resurrection is a reality. Believers can be well assured by the testimony of Scripture and the written historical record that Jesus did, in fact, Rise from the dead. There were many who saw him resurrected, alive. And in this account, he appeared to the Marys. It was unprecedented in the ancient world for women to be given first-hand witness status of something miraculous, something that could be testified in a court of law. And the first people to see the resurrected Jesus were the Marys. And so that in itself is astounding. It is true testimony in God's word. The Apostle Paul, though, also records of the reality of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he said. And that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, that is the twelve apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to the one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul reports. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. We can believe in the reality of resurrection just like we can believe in the reality of any historical record because there were eyewitnesses. It was written down. And Paul even said, look, you can go talk to some of these people who saw him. The New Testament scholar Andreas Kostenberger remarks this about Easter. He says, as we celebrate Easter and as we walk with Jesus every day of the year, we can therefore be confident that our faith is based not only on subjective personal assurance, but on reliable historical data, which makes ours an eminently reasonable faith. The reality of the resurrection is it is reasonable. Yes, it was a miracle, but it was reasonable. It was reality because there were over 500 witnesses who saw the resurrected Christ. And so J.C. Ryle says this, he says, we have reason to be very thankful for this wonderful truth of our religion that is so clearly and fully proved, that is the resurrection. It is a striking circumstance that all the facts of our Lord's earthly ministry, none are so incontrovertibly established as the fact that he rose again. The wisdom of God, who knows the unbelief of human nature, has provided a great cloud of witnesses on the subject. And so we praise God for it. He provided all the proof that we need that Christ has risen. The resurrection is a reality. It is a historical fact. Last, let's look at the response to the resurrection. We see this response in verses 8 through 10. How do we respond to the wonderful truth of the resurrection? Well, there are four good reasons shown here in this passage. The first response is fear. Look at verse 8. It is recorded that the Marys left the tomb with, with fear. But this was not a fear like they were running for their lives if someone was chasing them and going to hunt them down. No, this was a, a, a reverent fear, an awe an amazement at what they had seen and what had been told to them. And so this should be our response to the resurrection, that of fear, that of holy reverence and amazing amazement at the power and the wonder of God that he would raise Christ from the dead. But not only was there fear, the other proper response here is great joy. It is recorded that the Marys not only left the tomb with fear, but with great joy. They were mega happy. <laughs> and so should our response be to the resurrection. We are to be mega happy that our Savior died for our sins, but he did not stay dead. He was raised to life in power and in glory. And so I must tell you this morning, that Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, none of these religious founders died for your sins. 
none of them were crucified on a cross to pay the ransom price for sin. And you can be absolutely certain that their bodies are still rotting in their graves. But not Jesus. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And so what's another response? What did they do? What did the angel tell them to do? Run and tell others. Run and tell others. The, the Marys ran out of there as quick as they could. They could not wait to go and to proclaim the miracle that had been told to them by the angel and the report of seeing the empty tomb. And so do you see this sense of urgency to run and tell others? Do you have this sense of urgency and excitement to tell others about Jesus, to tell others about his death and resurrection? And so brothers and sisters, let Easter not unmove us. Let's run and tell others that he is risen. And what's the last response? And the only response? Worship him. Worship him. The Marys took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. What does that look like for us? How do we take hold of Jesus' feet and worship him? No, we cannot do that literally right now. Grab Jesus' feet and kiss them and worship them. One day we will. One day we shall be with him. We shall see him face to face. As he has risen, so one day the Bible records that we will be raised to be with him. But until that day, you can grab hold of Jesus and worship him. You have the word of God, the testimony of the scriptures, to praise and thank Jesus for what he has done. We have the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, Supper, the baptism that proclaim to us that he has risen and that we can worship him. We have the church, the body of Christ that he instituted to be that great communion of the saints to worship and praise the Savior. And so we can take hold of him. We can know him more and more. We can cultivate a deep, deep love for Jesus as King and Savior. We can do that as the church until he comes again. And so we must do everything that we can every single day to take hold of Jesus and worship him. Because he is risen and he's coming again one day. Go quickly. And tell others about the resurrection. That was the angel's instructions. That was the great commission that was given to the Marys. Go quickly, tell others. Because you can't keep the good news to yourself, can you? The resurrection fills us with awe and amazement. And so we have to go tell others. But let me encourage you, brothers and sisters. Telling others about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is not as radical and scary as you may think it would be. Perhaps you could start today by teaching your children every day about the resurrection. 
If your children have left the home, tell your grandchildren about the death and resurrection of the King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's a family member, a brother or sister that you're estranged from. And you know that you're estranged from that brother or sister because the bonds of Christ are just not there. Tell others. Perhaps it's the cable guy. Because I can assure you that if the cable guy comes to your house, he's going to be there for a long, long time. (laughs) And you can tell him about the death and resurrection. Perhaps anyone who comes to your home and wants to know who you are and what you are about. What do you do? Well, I'm I'm a rocket surgeon, but really... I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about it. It's not as hard as you may think. Start with those around you. Let me tell you one final amazing reality of the resurrection. One final thing that we worship on this resurrection morning. Look with me in Matthew 28 at the very last verse of this chapter in verse 20. We have in these last few verses of Matthew 28 recorded for us the Great Commission to go, to make disciples, to tell others about the death and resurrection, the good news of the gospel. Jesus here in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 says that he will always be with his disciples, even to the end of the age. Jesus says that until time itself stops, until human history is rolled up like a scroll, the amazing reality is, the truth is, Jesus is with you. He is with you. He is with his church. And this is only true because of the resurrection. He is with you. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And he is with you. And so let's worship him. Pray with me. Father, we confess to you freely that we oftentimes are unmoved by the reality of our risen king. But it is true. And the scriptures record that he is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he will return to gather the elect to himself. We all shall be gathered up with him in the sky. And we shall see him for he is. And he will transform our glorious bodies to be like his. And that is the beauty of the resurrection. It doesn't just stop with Jesus. We too one day will be raised. We praise you and thank you for that. Father, would you give us a burning desire? Would you move in all of us, young and old alike, children and seasoned alike, to go and to run and to tell others that Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.